0: we by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick. And I'm Eben Novi-Williams, and this is The Sportacast.
2: I gotta say, Eben, you are remarkably the same. There's good uniformity in your intro. You know, I would probably, I don't know why, whether consciously or not, vary it up a little bit. You are very uniform in your delivery of, and this is the. It's very good. It's very. very but we're uh, going to change
1: it now, obviously. <laughs> Next episode, everybody. I will. We're going to go all Don Pardo. Totally different. Yeah. Do you I'll even know who Don Spanish? Pardo is? I do not know who Don.
2: Oh, uh, he's the guy who used to say, you know, um, live at five with Sue Simmons. No, anything? Mm, no, no. That mean much fam- to me. He, he was a famous uh, NBC announcer. <laughs> okay, got it. Anyway, anyway, my father took me in to meet him once. I, I do remember he, he said, wait one minute. And he recorded something. And I think he said something, something to the effect. I don't remember the exact number, but he said something to the effect of like, shut off the mic and said, I just made $500. <laughs> I'm bad. like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's do. Did, did we job. just
1: make $500, Scott?
2: I don't think so, but that's what he <laughs> did. Anyway, tell me about LeBron because LeBron, the all-star basketball player is now LeBron, the baseball owner.
1: Yeah, big, uh, big new investment for LeBron James and his uh, business partner, Maverick Carter. We've talked a little bit on this show. We've written about Redbird Capital, led by Jerry Cardinal, them investing into Fenway Sports Group, the parent company of Liverpool, the soccer team, the Red Sox, Fenway Park, Nesson, Roush Fenway, a few other things. Uh, but turns out that LeBron is a part of that investment. They're buying around 10% uh, of Fenway Sports Group. It sounds like the valuation around 73 billion. dollars. Scott LeBron has not been shy in the past about his desire to be a a part of ownership groups. I'm personally a little surprised that it ended up being a baseball team first, but uh, give me your thoughts.
2: Well, I'm not. I I think in these instances, and remember, he was already like a 2% stakeholder in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. So this is just broadening an association that he already has. LeBron is no longer 18 years old, 19 years old. LeBron is closer to the end of the career than the beginning, right? And to associate yourself with John Henry, the the chairman of Fenway Sports Group and the control owner of the Red Sox and Liverpool is a really darn smart thing to do. Even if you have less than 1% at your stake, it doesn't matter. You now have entree into other things. And what this investment from Redbird is going to allow Fenway to do is to become an even bigger platform in the sports global let's let's emphasize global sports business world they're looking at buying other clubs they're looking at buying companies that are sports adjacent and as you well know that can be media that can be technology that can be real estate so john henry is looking to expand this empire that he has and if I'm LeBron, and as far as I know, he always wears like a Yankees hat, right? LeBron was a Yankee fan as, as far as I knew. Uh, it's a darn smart thing to do to align yourself since you already have that relationship. It's just broadening a, a, uh, a bond that you already have with this ownership group that you know is about to go big game hunting.
1: We've talked a bit, Recent episodes about the XFL, the, the benefit of having the Rock as part of the ownership group, just from a promotional standpoint. I'm looking at Twitter right now. The Red Sox have 2.1 million followers on Twitter. LeBron James has 50 million. So there's a huge gap there. Do we Hold think on, the, do the, the same carrot
2: to the smaller, less than 50,
1: bigger? Uh, do we think give, me same, give
2: me Liverpool? Do, can can you give me Liverpool? Liverpool really fast? Can yeah, you?
1: for sure. And 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 I'll get the answer while you're talking. But do you think the same rules apply here? In that there's just a benefit even for the Red Sox, a, a huge brand in American sports, to have a platform I'm gonna like go, LeBron. I'm going to go to my
2: science teacher from, I don't remember what grade, but when they had to explain what a symbiotic relationship meant, like, you know, when like the parasite would ride on the back of the shark or whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. It benefits both. That's what this does. Yes, this certainly benefits Fenway Sports Group. People, uh, obviously, 50 million followers, you said, it's, he's an influencer. Can I I talk like a cool young kid, right? It's like you you have a, what's her name? Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok. There are certain folks who tell you, you should drink this beverage. Travis Scott says, I want a Travis Scott burger at McDonald's. And all of a sudden, McDonald's is short of supply because all of his people are out there buying these burgers. It's insane. LeBron falls in that category. He is far beyond an athlete. He is certainly a global influencer. Uh, and certainly, if you have a sports and entertainment group, of course you want him in there.
1: So take a, take a guess here on Liverpool. Le, uh, Red Sox, 2.1 million. LeBron, 50 million. Where, do, where does Liverpool sit on Twitter? 12. 16.7. All right. So no, I didn't embarrass myself. So LeBron has more than double the followers of, of both the two core assets at, at Liverpool Sport uh, at, at Fenway Sports Company
2: and these, by the way, and how do I always term these assets? I call them their iconic sports brands. So think about that. Think about those numbers of these iconic brands in sport, and LeBron dwarfs them combined. Of course, you want him in your group. He he has access to Asia, South America, Europe. North America, that's where the business of sports is headed. We're talking about the Thomas Friedman flat world here. You know, sports without borders. There are no borders. Technology has erased the borders. You've got scale all across the globe. And LeBron can bring you into that living room, into that video game, onto TikTok. He has the reach into the eyeballs you're trying to reach.
1: So let's flip this real quick before we move on. For LeBron himself someone who's building a pretty big media empire off the court. He's obviously a huge celebrity, as we're saying, someone who has aspirations, I'm sure, to own bigger parts of sports teams. What does this do for him in bigger business deals in the future?
2: Well, years ago, one, it gives him entree. It it always gets him into what is John Henry doing? What is Redbird Capital doing? He's now in a closed circle of folks that will come to him and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. And being in sports, as you know, it's high-profile front porch. That leads to opportunities. LeBron can then put his capital to work there, and Maverick as well, of course. Uh, He's into it with his studio. He's into content. This certainly will help there. I mean, Ryan Reynolds bought a lower-division team just for the content to see what we can do around sport because so many people care. Um, I wrote a story years ago prior to my knowing you, sir, uh, about why do people buy like 1% of a sports team or two? And this is before valuations went up absolutely bongo where it's, even those numbers are high. But part of it was a training ground. I heard that a lot. You buy a little piece just to dabble and see, okay, what really goes into this? Is this something I want to pursue as a control person? This gives LeBron that sort of entree. He David Tepper un-
1: feels like a great example of that, Yes, right? yes, Someone yes. Who he, a, he started smaller stake. than... Yep. Yes.
2: Yes. So LeBron now gets to peek under the hood, gets to see how the sausage is made and decide, do I want to be Michael Jordan? Do I want to go and commit serious dollars to being a control owner of a professional sports team? Right now, just aspirationally, my guess would be that LeBron would say, hell yeah, of course I want to own a team. Yes, that's what I want to do. And then you see what what really happens there and what what it entails. And maybe you say, "Ooh, you know what? Maybe I don't need that in my life, but at least to learn." That's one of the things that just being around and being an LP limited partner—that's one of the benefits.
1: Here's an experience LeBron never had, Scott. He was never a college basketball player, um, and we record this about 24 hours before the start of the NCAA tournament. And there's some s- s- some activation, uh, s- some activism happening among college f- basketball players. A number of Big Ten players, a number of players from other schools, I don't know if you've seen this, it happened this afternoon, are all getting together uh, and tweeting under the hashtag, not NCAA property, really getting the the voice out there, getting the, getting the message out there that they feel frustrated that they are not allowed to market themselves in a way that any other student would.
2: Okay, and you know who's very nervous right now? Who's the most nervous I, I can think of a person few, in sports business Mark hearing Emmert, this? I,
1: Mark Emmert would be one of them. Mar- Mark Emmert, yes.
2: I'm going to give you two. Mark Emmert and Sean McManus at CBS Mm. because he needs that one shining moment. And you and I and, and others have speculated that one day, if athletes really don't feel as if they're being treated fairly, that one day that taking a stand and being part of a movement that changes things will mean more to a team than competing in the Final Four, competing in the National Championship game. They will see... Uh, The activism as a higher plane, that playing the game, getting the ring just will not mean as much. And they will, at the last moment, wind up telling folks, you know, we're not taking the floor. That is how change will happen. Because as we see now, even if you look at just like name, image, and likeness, it doesn't exactly happen quickly.
1: We we were very close, I think, to that exact scenario a couple of years ago with Wisconsin, a very outspoken group of guys. Uh, Zach Bohannon, who was on that team, his brother, Jordan Bohannon, is at Iowa right now, one of the top seeds in the tournament. Uh, he's one of these athletes. Tweeted today, it's been far too long. Time for our voices to be heard. Geo Baker, one of the stars of the Rutgers team, said, the NCAA owns my image and likeness. Someone on music scholarship can profit from an album. Someone on academic scholarship can have a tutor service. But people who say an athletic scholarship is enough, anything less than equal rights is never enough. One of the things I think that the I mean, the NCAA, as you know, and we've talked about, kind of constantly moves its bylaws a little bit to, to kind of respond to pressure. They drag their feet. We thought, and the NCAA said publicly many times, that at their annual meetings in January two months ago, they were going to be approving a sweeping legislation that would let athletes at least market themselves, these, these name, image, and likeness rights. And they essentially, at the last second, pulled the plug on that. I do wonder if there there may be more vocal opposition now because the NCAA more or less dangled a carrot in front of these athletes and then at the last minute took took it away.
2: All right, so that's what you're wondering about. I'll tell you what I'm wondering about. Who's behind it? These athletes did not get together across social media and say, this is the hashtag we're going to use. Somebody is behind this in an organizational way. Now, I have my suspicions, but I'd rather not name entities right now because if it's not, that wouldn't be fair. But people who have a vested interest in the unity, in the collective rights of athletes, uh, would certainly make sense as an organizational assistant here to get this going. This didn't just happen today. That's what I'm saying.
1: And we've seen movements kind of like this in the past for folks who are college football fans may remember back in August or July, PAC twelve and Big Ten football players put put out a, a we are United movement that actually achieved a lot of change about the way their their conferences were thinking about approaching that college football season. And then the we want to play movement, which Trevor Lawrence and and Justin Fields, two of the biggest stars in college football, used on their platforms as part of kind of the motivation and the rallying around getting college football off the ground uh, in, in the summer and fall last year. So no question, we, we've seen these movements, if they get a critical mass, if some of the biggest players uh, join them, they, they have a lot of impact and, and no better time, as you mentioned, Scott, than you know a, a day before the, the NCAA tournament starts, the most important three weeks on the calendar for, for the NCAA and its billion-dollar business.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure it really rests on the shoulders of the stars anymore. This isn't professional. I mean, of course, it helps to have the big names, but if you give me five no-names from the University of Insert Directional School here and they don't play in a tournament game, that matters. They can't take the court. Uh, you've, got, you've got some nervous NCAA officials, network officials at, at CBS. And as we've said, Eben, these athletes are have learned, I don't think I want to say are learning, have certainly learned uh, how much power, how much flex they can do right now to influence change. But if if it's just another hashtag, you know, we move on to the next event, at some point, we're going to get to a, an activity, an action, a taking of a stand where you're going to have like in the NBA, remember when the Milwaukee Bucks wouldn't take floor after George Floyd was it George Floyd mm-hmm. okay um you're going to have a moment where a teams just going to say you know i i know that the the, the anthem is being played or what we're not going we're not playing we we just we think there's bigger things here so uh i we've been building to this for a while uh you would think that the NCAA the institutions they understand that the players understand that the times have changed, but we will certainly see how it plays out.
1: Let's change gears here uh, to ETFs, from NCAA to ETFs. uh, Roundhill, a group that has a number of themed ETFs out there, exchange-traded funds uh, for folks who aren't into acronyms, announced this week they're starting one around sports. It's actually, honestly, Scott, something kind of similar to the John Wall Street Index that we've been doing at Sportico for a while. It's a collection of companies that are in and around sports that includes sportswear companies like Nike and Adidas. It includes publicly traded teams like the Knicks and the Rangers and the Atlanta Braves. It also includes um, a few SPACs as well, run by, by, by people who are interested in investing in sports. Um, but uh, yes, there's a, there's a new ETF out there that should, that should let people on mainstream, people like you and I, if we wanted to, maybe take advantage of the growing valuations that we're talking about, I feel like, every week on this podcast.
2: Yeah, th- the question is, do you believe that the sector as a whole will outperform some sort of baseline fund? You know, whether it's S&P, you, you, can, you can name it. But did you name some of the, uh, the Europeans there? You know, it, it, again, glo- taking a global look, I just thought you'd like to, you could say Borussia Dortmund, Adidas, Man, Man United, U, Juventus. Juventus. Yeah. So definitely taking a global uh, view. Um, I'm still kind of torn on where I feel on SPACs that have not found a target. Like, do they really fall? Because they're pools of money, and the stated intention is to find something in sports or sports adjacent. I get it. But until you have that target, do I want them included in a sports fund? I'm not sure. Because prices go up and down based on speculation on talks. And um, I don't I don't know. I'm just not sure whether whether a SPAC that doesn't have a target should be included. I, I'd like to know exactly, you know, what what the company, what the merger is going to be.
1: I totally agree with you. And and to be clear, I believe at least Red Ball is in our index as well. Yeah. Uh, but there's certainly a lot more in this roundhill one. Uh sports tech is in there, the goal acquisition company also in there. Um, and I share the same thoughts you had, actually, and, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but these spacs, they may say that they're looking for a sports acquisition, but they could just as easily turn around and buy Bob's bread knives, right? There's they can do whatever they want, and in 18 months, some of these spacs are probably not even going to exist anymore. They'll fail to find a target. They'll kind of unwind their money, and they'll stop. Uh, they'll stop being publicly traded companies. So I agree with you. It seems it seems like a a curious choice. Ah, uh, Roundhill, as I mentioned before, does a number of these themed ETFs. They have a popular one called Bets B E T Z, which is all about sports betting. Uh, one called Nerd about esports. I object to the uh, to, to the ticker symbol there, um, <laughs> and another one called Subs S U B Z that is about uh, streaming I- in media. So, not the first one of these for Roundhill, but certainly curious to see, as you said, if there are sports fans out there, and and we've seen the way people invest their money is a little bit different in the pandemic than it was even 18 months ago we'll see if this is something that that attracts regular investors
2: yeah i mean if you're a fan of a particular team like that is publicly traded you could also just take that one equity you know i c- i can buy msg i can buy liberty um, It doesn't have to be done in the collective sports realm but i'm not surprised i'm a little surprised it's taken this long knowing the fervency thank you with which fans do follow all this stuff. You know, it, it is more passion play. Um, but uh, from what we've seen with our valuations, with media rights, <laughs> everything around sports, except for ratings on TV right now seems to be escalating, but we're moving to a streaming world. So I'm curious to see what sorts of streaming and tech companies in sports, how they'll do. Um, uh, you're going to get some money flowing into this fund.
1: One stock that I would expect to be in that nerd ETF, the esports one, Take Two Interactive, the video game publisher. Ooh. Some big news this week, Scott. Tiger Woods, ever heard of him? He's uh, switching, or not switching, but he is back in the video game world after spending 15 years as both the cover man and the the, the name on EA Sports uh, golf video game, and then a few years with with no video game partnership. He's getting back in with two with with 2K PGA Tour 2K. We'll have Tiger Woods on the cover uh, moving forward. It's funny we every time we talk about Tiger, it's this kind of push and pull between. At some point, the, the golf world and business world needs to move on from him because he's not going to be the the biggest draw in the sport forever. And yet, you see deals like this in twenty twenty one, one month after he has he was in a horrible car accident that I, that I would say threatens his future as a golfer, at least not as a as a powerful member of the sport. Um, but yes, the, the golf world clearly Scott is still tied to Tiger Woods in a number of ways.
2: All right, Marcus Welby, and you probably don't get that reference either. Uh, but for the older set, that's fine; they'll get a little chuckle out of it. Um, I never want to pretend on this podcast, Devin. I mean, you know, like we're supposed to be the experts, and we know we follow. I never want to pretend that I knew something or I know something or I'm smarter than I am or I looked it up and I'll and I'll pass it off as institutional knowledge and in you know in my medulla. I, I had no idea that Tiger was off of a golf game. I, I, I don't play video games. I, I don't barge in on my son too much while he's playing. And if I do, it's Call of Duty or what's the other one now? Uh, Apex something or other. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes me a bad parent or not. Uh, <laughs> probably. But I, I didn't really realize that he had been off of a golf video game. Um, I'm, I'm actually surprised by it. But, and I'm also not surprised that he's back because Tiger is still, yeah, the biggest name in the sport.
1: Yeah, and, and I believe the way it all worked out with EA, he was the cover of EA Tiger Woods uh, PGA Tour for a long time. In 2015, they switched to, to Rory McIlroy was on the cover of the game, and I think that was the last game, golf game, that EA put out. So I think they've been dark uh, for a number of years now. If I'm I'm trying to think about this as we talk about it, and it's a good question. If I'm relaunching or rebranding my golf video game in 2021, is there someone in golf I'd rather have on the cover than Tiger Woods? I'm not sure what the answer is. And I, I don't know how long this is one of those deals that says it's a long-term deal. I'm not sure exactly I know what the answer is. The answer is no. I'm not sure how long it is. Okay. So who, yeah, the answer no. is no. Is, so who would you rather have? I mean, what's the, what's the answer if it's not Tiger?
2: Maybe you do. A, is there a group? Is there, I, I don't know. i um, Like the guy hits the ball a country mile. Like people like that. Does he win enough? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that's why Tiger's back, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And Madden has experimented with with former players on its cover as well. This is certainly not a uh, not not a new idea in any way. um but certainly interesting, especially given the timing of what's happened in Tiger's wor- life in the past in the past month, um, the, the timing of that announcement
2: all right. Let's finish up, Edmund with uh, the sportico live event we had earlier in the week, focused on fans' return to the stands had a number of guests, uh, Steph McMahon, the chief uh, brand officer at the WWE, Jan Ab- John Abamandi, the uh, CEO of BSE Global. That's the parent of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we had Joe Lacob, the owner of the Golden State Warriors. For me, that was my standout moment. Joe Lacob, who has a background in uh, epidemiology, telling me that the pandemic is just about over. Like he was looking at vaccines, rates falling. Um, this isn't just uh, anybody spouting off. The, I mean, the guy he has a background in the biomedical sciences um he's not long ago in one of our in our earlier events wasn't so optimistic all of a sudden the the sense i'm getting from joe is that uh, arenas and stadiums in the not too distant future i mean i guess we can look at the uh, the texas rangers <laughs> they're they're getting ready to to go full bore in texas for opening day 40,000 folks um just because you can do something not sure you should but we'll see um but macro, that sports and entertainment, which has been absolutely gut punched by this virus, the, the feeling around the entire ecosystem is one of great optimism right now.
1: Yeah, one moment that stuck out to me. One of the panels had Danny Silman, who runs Relevant Sports Group, uh, which operates the ICC International Champions Cup, the the global soccer event that every year hosts events all over the world. They're looking at what their 2021 event will look like where they can hold it. Hopefully Asia and the U S almost definitely here in the U S. And he said that the NFL such a behemoth in this marketplace, Scott, that the moment they said we're going to have full capacity at preseason games starting in late August, that essentially Gave justification for the whole marketplace for soccer events to be happening maybe a month earlier in some of these same venues. In fact, just the idea that the NFL still because of its size, because of its popularity, carries so much weight that as soon as the NFL backs an idea of we're going to have a full capacity at at these dates that moves kind of the entire market, whether it's football or, or global soccer.
2: Yeah, and the WWE is going ahead with WrestleMania. They nixed it last year, going ahead. 25,000 seats being sold for two-night affair at uh, Raymond James Stadium, site of the Super Bowl, where they had about the same number of fans. Uh, I I got to throw the belt, uh, the championship belt, over my shoulder and eat a Snickers bar with Stephanie McMahon, helping her out with the sponsors (laughs) there. Uh, But there's certainly optimism. Um, you're, You're seeing that in the data that fans across the country seem to be getting more positive in their outlook on whether they can return to a stadium or feel comfortable returning you've got a grin on your face as if you were going to make fun of me for something so i'll give you that opportunity no go ahead no that's it no, it's a, just that the optimism is there there's a growing sense of comfort on the customer side and optimism on the team side so uh, good for everybody in the industry
1: absolutely yeah and i, I was not going to make fun of you i i am there's a part of me that is kind of skeptical always about um, it's so much of the conversation centered around new tech and this idea of folks that have listened to our, our shows for a while know that I'm kind of a skeptic about sports as the, as the bastion of, of, of new technology, especially on the business side. Um, but I am very curious as people talk more and more about the things that are going to come out of this pandemic from, you know, business development, from fan data, from even, you know, customer facing things like cashless technology to no touch, uh, screens that there, are all those things that their arenas um, very curious to see actually what when we look back on this in a year what actually changes and what was kind of lip service as people thought about the possibilities but didn't end up executing them
2: all right he is edmund novi williams on the twitter at novi underscore williams i am scott soshnik on twitter at soshnik you can find the show at Sporticast. it is the hub of what will become the sportico podcast network